Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have actually been dreading this day ever since the spring quarter preaching schedule came out and I saw that I had the last Friday of the spring quarter. A couple of reasons. First, because Fridays are Catechism Day. There's no text. This, this sort of makes no sense to me. I know that systematicians and practical department people have no problem with no text in preaching, but it's, it's sort of a problem for exegetes. So we'll, we'll talk about that later on. Second reason I've been dreading this day is because of the topic. Once I looked at what the topic was, the will of God. Holy cow. I mean, it's one of those topics that just sort of makes you cringe. You know, the will of God. If we could do images somewhere in the chapel, I'd have a, a thunderstorm and waves crashing over a lighthouse or a tornado blowing through some subdivision somewhere. The will of God is strong and mighty, and you are puny and little, and you just have to sort of accept it, right? Will of God. And I might as well add a third reason, not so funny. This community and many people who have long been associated with and, in fact, essential to the work of God in this place were forced to consider this last quarter what the will of God is for them in a very real way. What was pretty clear and obviously the will of God six months ago for them wasn't really so clear a couple of months ago. Is it God's will that they leave this place? And is it God's will that all of us just sort of have to accept the loss that comes with it? It's a tough topic. There is an easy approach to the problem of the will of God. I could stand up here in this cold, hard, marble fortress of a pulpit, impenetrable, standing tall above you in my white, shining robe, and declare to you what the will of God is. And it ends up being some sort of abstract, impersonal command that you just have to accept because of where I am and where you are seated. You have to do it because it's the will of God, and I know it because I'm here and you're not. Many preachers take that route. I pray that you never do. It would also be easy for me to give you the standard theological platitudes about the will of God. I can rip Romans 8 out of its context as well as anybody. All things work together for good. We could sing a hymn out of our old hymnal, LW. What God ordains is always good. It's one of the most depressing hymns I've ever seen, actually, and somehow didn't make the cut into the new hymnal. But you notice those moves don't really deal with the problem of the will of God. They just tell us to live with it. Your life might stink right now, and terrible things have happened, but it's okay somehow because this, this distant, impersonal, untouchable, unreachable deity who is oblivious to your pain and suffering and struggle somehow just wanted it that way. And faith is simply accepting that. I apologize if you find that sort of rationalizing helpful, but I think that way of approaching the matter of the will of God is more in line with the fates in Shakespeare 
and the Force and Star Wars and ancient Stoicism, but I don't have time to talk about all that stuff. So if you'll permit, I'm going to avoid the platitudes and the easy answers and be a little bit reflective right now. You see, I, I really don't live in fear of, of what will happen tomorrow, personally. I'm not afraid of what tomorrow will bring. I'm actually pretty confident that what will happen tomorrow will, in fact, be worse than today. My fear is actually that today is the pinnacle. Today is as good as it's going to get, and everything is all downhill from here. You might attribute this way of thinking to the fact that I grew up as a fan of the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> that may well be we all do have a second text after all, and mine includes having hopes crushed year after year after year, including in the first round of the playoffs last year. Anyway, I actually have science on my side for this view. Call it pessimism if you want, but it is an established law of physics that entropy is inevitable. You guys remember the second law of thermodynamics? Entropy in a closed system can never decrease. That is to say, unless there is some force of energy from the outside, a closed system will eventually and inevitably run out of energy. It's just an obvious uh, a way of stating the obvious. Things don't get better. They don't even stay the same. They always get worse. Think of it in simple terms like this. That cup of coffee that you poured for yourself this morning, and then you opened up the newspaper or flipped open the computer to read the, the Internet. You put that cup of coffee on your desk, started reading, and after maybe a half hour, what's become of your nice, hot, delicious cup of coffee? It's a little pool of cold, black, bitter nastiness. Coffee never stays the same. It never gets hotter. It only gets colder. Even if you pay two bucks for it over at Caldi, it still gets worse. Things left on their own never get better. And not only is this scientifically observable and a rule of thermodynamics, even more important, it is what is happening to God's creation. Romans 8, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will, there's that will, uh, the word will, the will of the one who subjected it. And again, creation is in bondage to decay. Bondage to decay. Not creation is in bondage to staying the same or creation is in bondage to sort of halfway getting by. Creation is in bondage to decay, getting worse, not better. And you thought I was just making this up because of the Cubs. So I have my own list of stuff falling apart, and maybe you do too. I'm pretty confident that the plaster that's peeling off the walls in House 12 and the three places where the foundation is cracked in the basement and water comes through whenever it rains are not going to get fixed on their own. It's the will of God, apparently, that that remains and gets worse. I'm pretty sure that no matter how much training and riding I do on my bicycle, 
that I've probably reached the point in my, my life where I'll never finish higher than the second place I got in a race a couple years ago. It's just not going to happen anymore. It's the will of God that I finish 10th every time, apparently, from now on. I'm pretty sure that my 11-year-old Chevy van will develop yet another leak, another worn part, or another catastrophic failure, and it will cost either $600 or $1,100 to fix it, because that's what the bill always is. It's simply God's will. I suspect that the economic bubble has burst, the political clout and economic might of our nation is in decline, and that my daughters will live in a generation that is less affluent and safe and secure as is mine. Might as well get used to it. It's God's will. I suspect that our church body has already passed the day when we are, to use the apostles' words, like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, we may well not exist as a synod in a few years. Might as well get used to it. It's God's will. To us crotchety old seminary professors, every new class of seminarians is somehow less well-prepared, brings more personal problems with them, and is amazingly somehow even stupider than the class that came before. After you guys, believe me, I'm dreading next year's class. But apparently, it's just the will of God. Even a line of reasoning as insidious as this, I sin, I can't stop sinning, and God doesn't make it stop, stop the big powerful guy up there. Well, I know he sent Jesus to forgive my sin, but but that's sort of just pretending the sin doesn't exist. He doesn't actually make it stop, and so the reasoning or the rationalization goes too easily that it really doesn't matter if I sin or not. Even that it must somehow be God's will that I sin because, well, he's letting it happen for Pete's sake. It must not be a problem to God. You ever thought that? Many Christians have. Just read Romans 6. And so because things get worse in every situation and circumstance without fail, we become resigned to bad stuff just happening. Our nagging doubts that things will not get any better turn into out-and-out -out pessimism that everything will simply collapse and fall apart, and then we just call it God's will. Many people, even many Christians today, think that this represents strong faith in God, that he is supreme, and his will is always going to be done, and that the ultimate proof of your faith is that somehow you come to accept it, no matter how bad it is. That's simply what faith is. But brothers and sisters, simply accepting bad stuff is not praying, thy will be done. Letting God's will be done is not resignation to the events of life. Letting God's will be done is not a nice thing to, to pump us up to accept when bad things happen. Letting God's will be done does not happen when we allow evil to persist in creation and even in our lives. I don't care how many pop psychologists tell you this, whether they're on TV 
or the bookshelves in borders, or even sometimes from pulpits, resigning ourselves to fate is not praying, thy will be done. So maybe we need a text. Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and even perfect. You see, in spite of all our observations and the things we experience and even the laws of science, creation is not a closed system. This age lives and thinks like it is. Things happen in this age, like bodies breaking down and getting old and sick, economies crashing, sin destroying. But the solution to the realities of this age is not to accept it. The solution is not to think the way everyone else does. Creation is not a closed system where nothing breaks in to make things better. In fact, the system has been broken into. This system has been invaded by the Son of God himself, who took on the very flesh and blood of this age. And though he succumbed and subjected himself to the struggles of this age, temptation, lack, even death itself, death on a cross. The system of death and decay was shattered and broken when Jesus of Nazareth walked out of the grave with a new body. No longer does death win. Oh, death, where is your victory, goes the taunt. No longer is decay and things getting worse the inevitable consequence of life in this age. No, somebody actually got better at the end than they were at the beginning. Jesus Christ himself. One person entered into this age, took up flesh and blood, and transformed it, renewed it. It got better. And by his bodily resurrection, Jesus not only demonstrated that new life is possible, he made new life in the body happen. Now, for you and for me. When does it happen? Well, it's already begun. It started when you were buried with him in baptism. In order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from death, you too may walk in newness of life. You may walk in a different, new kind of life. It happens when by the power of his word, the Holy Spirit shapes and changes you, transforms and renews in the language of Romans 12, so that you actually experience God working to restore his creation personally in your life, in your body. And finally, it happens on that last day when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, when every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is in fact now reigning and not the evil that we see, 
not the laws of science. Jesus Christ is reigning. And on that day, all creation will know what we already know in our renewed and transformed minds, that because Jesus Christ is Lord, we are not just left here abandoned to deal with the stuff of life as it gets worse and worse. You see, the future hope of the restoration of all things by the power of Jesus Christ reaches back in time to us now, in the present, as we wait and watch and are even used by God now to do his work, his, his will. Even the old prophets were trying to remind us of this. Look, says Isaiah, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. You see, this is and has always been the will of God. Not to make us suffer, not to leave us abandoned, not to hope we can put up with the best of circumstances, but to restore and to forgive and to heal and to make all things new. This is the will of God. Thy will be done. <laughs> Indeed. So I actually live in hope. Not only that someday God will work, someday that I probably will never see in this life, right? But that even now, he is working. I actually expect to win a bike race. And I work and train as hard as I possibly can. Why? Well, God has given me this. He's given me a bike, actually four bikes. He's given me friends and teammates that encourage me. It allows me to help other people out. And I like doing it. And my wife lets me. So I do it. I actually expect to win a race. And I actually teach classes, even to students like you, because I fully expect you to be better pastors and teachers and leaders than my generation, that God actually wants his kingdom to come and grow and that he will use you to do it. Thy will be done. And I actually expect the Cubs to win the World Series. Well, I don't know. We'll see about that. All things will be made new at some point. Come on, you got to give me that one, all right? Sorry, I had a better finish than this. Even so, right, look, I am making all things new. It reaches back to us now as we live as his renewed, restored people by his power. Even so, come quickly, come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that thy will be done today and tomorrow and each day in us and among us. Amen.